Welcome fellow wanderers to The Forest Path, a podcast about the journeys we take to discover our true selves and our creativity, and the uncertainty and fears that can accompany us on the way. I'm Julia Mazzola, your inner forest guide. Today's conversation is with Lindsay Mack, founder of Tara for the Wild Soul and my teacher. Her teachings are what allowed me to bring Tara more deeply into my life, so it was such an honour to be able to have her share her perspective on Tara, as well as the continual unfolding of her journey. There is so much wisdom in this conversation. So let's begin. Hi, Julia, how are you? Hi, Lindsay, I'm good. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today and sharing your wisdom with us. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I have been fortunate enough to be a student of yours, but there may be people listening who have yet to encounter you and your work. Would you be able to give an introduction to start us off? Yes, absolutely. So I am the founder of a couple of different things, but the main thing is a school, a way of interpreting the tarot called Tarot for the Wild Soul. It's also a podcast. It's also a course. It's a million different things. It's essentially a way to, this is really limiting it, but um, for clarity and shortness of time <laughs> for this moment is a way of very specifically leaning on and viewing the tarot as a healing and helping tool and a way for us to tap into the wisdom of the present moment. I feel like the introduction that you just shared is, is sort of the accumulation of years of putting that together and uh, kind of shows where you are today on your path. But when you first set out, did you ever imagine that this is where you would be now? Oh my God, no way. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't plan like any of this, you know? So it, it's really been a wild, I'm not going to say that I haven't had a hand in <laughs> creating and growing and tossing things away, certainly doing my work. I didn't even set out to be like tarot anything. It just came to me and I said yes. So essentially, no, <laughs> no, I, not at all, not at all. Did you previously have quite strong ideas of where you wanted to go towards before Tarot kind of came knocking? Yeah, well, I mean, my life can kind of be measured if we're going to zoom out like to the furthest extent. I knew from the time that I was very, very young that I wanted to be an artist, a performer. I'm a singer. I you know, wanted to do theater really, really badly. I didn't have all that much. You know, I did as much as I as I could given my family life and what I was sort of permission to do. But I studied it in college and just really thought like, this is my path. It was such a passion. But the irony is that from the time I was 12, I was reading, learning and using the tarot. Like it's almost always, I mean, 12 is pretty young. So it was always there. Like I always knew there was something more to me. And I even remember in one of my advisor calls when I was in school for my BFA and performance saying like, you know, it's so weird. I feel like I can see myself going to this path of being an actor or I could be like a therapist or something. And at that time, that was my best guess in college. I went to college like forever ago, but that was kind of my best aim at what this work was. Like there was always a and it used to make me anxious, actually, because I thought, you know, that like scrambly feeling when you know you're on to something that's important, but it's like not quite it. It's like trying to make a relationship work that's just not quite it. And um, 
that was always in there somewhere, although my love for performance and theater and singing was quite real. And I graduated and moved to New York and started a downtown theater company. That's how I met my husband. And then a bunch of towers happened and I just, I was done. I can't explain it. I've never looked back. There's never been any regret. And I was working as a performer. I just knew that it was time. And then there was a really long stretch of time where I was in limbo. I went to health coaching school. I, I found mindfulness. But tarot, like it, I, I even started a healing practice in Manhattan with a yoga teacher. And I just didn't get that intuition and tarot, intuition period, was missing. I was trying to do very like meditation, health coaching, like that route. And there wasn't really an integration of who I was that path, I think, is so beautiful. It is not me, but it was really essential to get me to here. So it's like there was this very big part of the circle and then a little middle part of the circle. And this feels like it feels like there was a moment where I said yes to this and it's just continued to flower open. I can absolutely look back and I, I see it all, but it was essential that I didn't know it, if you know what I mean, until I did. You know what I mean? It's much easier to be able to find a narrative and kind of create a story yeah. <laughs> while at the time it just feels like a giant mess. <laughs> That's right. So I think there are going to be some people listening who are potentially tarot curious, but have never really considered bringing it into their lives. And I know personally, for me, a large part of my fear of starting to use the tarot was that I felt like I wasn't intuitive or magical enough for it. So it often felt like it wasn't really for me. Can you expand on your idea of tarot as invitations for everyone and how this came about for you? Absolutely. So I'll start with the one of those pieces, which is that the tarot, like intuition, like I, I think a lot, unfortunately, in this path of, of magic and of, and of intuiting and of channeling, has really been co-opted a little bit and corrupted a little bit, where it's it's taken on a lot of the themes of religion where you really need, there's like people who know what they're talking about. They've sort of been ordained in these positions they know, and you're coming to get guidance from them. And there are these kind of esoteric tools or these esoteric gifts or these unbelievable magical things that other people seemingly can do, but we don't feel like we can do. I want to just start by saying that I think everybody feels that way. I still feel that way. I still have those because the, the conditioning is so strong from so much of the overculture, so much of patriarchy, so much of capitalism, so much of organized religion. I'm not knocking people's personal beliefs and faiths, but the, the system, I, I will knock that. <laughs> I will happily <laughs> knock that um, with respect and with love. So when you take those overcultural systems out, what you have is something so pure and so powerful that it scares the shit out of really everybody, which is that you are really the most powerful source and the only pathway to God, to spirit, to your guides, to whatever you want to call that. And that everybody is born intuitive. Now, the thing that most people don't, I think, integrate, allow themselves to receive and experience is that not everybody's meant to do something different with their intuition. So we have a very small piece of the pie that's really been kind of sort of spotlighted. Again, this is this is absolutely not coming from an energy of judgment, but a lot of it is quite performative. It's people who are really 
doing some, their intuition has a lot of sparkle, a lot of bells and whistles, a lot of like puffs of colorful smoke. And I absolutely believe that there are folks out there that, that their intuition is very, very colorful, like very beautiful, and they should shine in that. That's oftentimes all we see. Or we're hearing from folks who have gifts that are so exquisite and specific, and they are meant to be in the role of intuitive as their job, like with a capital I. And we look at that and think, well, I'm like a bookkeeper. What the fuck does that mean to me? When the truth is that spirit speaks to you through your bookkeeping. The truth is that the way that you may understand the organization and the language of numbers can allow so much more to unlock that we all have gifts, we all have jobs, we all have things we're here to bring and do. And the key to that is really in where we tend to get guided by that inner voice. And the more we kind of lean into the inner voice, we pay attention to it, it's just like a muscle the more it starts to open, it takes years. Like I'm still doing, like I still sit down to do my practices and think like, whoa, I've got probably so much longer to go on my journey before X will, will maybe come a little easier to me. But wow, I remember where I was four years ago and I can't believe I'm doing this. Like it re- really is like that. I think most people assume like you're born with it. You are born with it. You're also born with a brain and a mind and a nervous system that is flooded with all kinds of inherited belief systems that may be in traumatic situations that might not be in a household, even if it's a loving household that's safe to be in the wildness of your intuition. And wildness is expressed differently by everybody. So you're born intuitive. That kind of emphasis on autonomy, on empowerment, on lifting up what I know to be everyone's individual magic medicine brilliance is uh, a it's a cornerstone of the way I work my teachings with my students but it's also very similar that kind of democratizing is really how I see the tarot the tarot is for everybody it belongs to everybody you don't need to consider yourself an intuitive or capital I lowercase I whatever it is to utilize it because a lot of the way we've been taught to utilize the tarot from books from a lot of the old paradigm way and again I'm saying this with tremendous respect to those who've come before me but a lot of it we're also built on these kind of broken systems there's a lot in tarot theoretical books that just doesn't make any sense it's like you bring just two moments of critical thinking to it and it all falls apart some examples are like if the lover's card really meant that you were going to meet a lover, I think we would have heard more about that by now. That's not true, <laughs> you know? Like so one of the pieces that we can we can call in right away just with that card is you don't need to have anything external. You don't need to wait for anything. It's not a predictor of that. And that also means that you can breathe a sigh of relief about the scary cards because they're not bringing anything to you. They're just reflecting on the invitations that are present. Tarot does a horrible job at predicting the future because there really is no future. You know, it's really all we're building the future and every moment that we're willing to be really awake in our lives. And so I teach tarot from that perspective, and that's just a very tiny part of the perspective. The tenets of tarot for the wild soul are really tarot happens for you. 
not to you, that includes all the cards that are contained in the deck. There really are no bad cards. Now, I used to say there are no scary cards, and I've I've since begun to amend that because people are allowed to be scared of whatever they want. I never want to deny anyone an experience. Fear is a really important invitation, but there really are no bad cards. There are no negative cards. All cards bring medicine. Pulling tarot, pulling cards, even if you feel uncomfortable about them, or you know, they're they're reflecting a part of you back to yourself. And really, the more we can hang out in that idea, can totally reshape the way we open to our particular combination or or weaving of ourselves. Like how I teach tarot is just me. That's how I see the world. It's how I happen to be like my intuition. I love the way it moves through me, but it is as it's basically like a bowl of oatmeal. Like there's nothing colorful to it, but it is really like no colorful puffs smoke, but it allows me just the way that particular rhythm and, you know, that particular combination tends to move through me. The tarot really makes sense to me in that way. So Not everybody feels this way about my work, but what I really try to aim for is not to talk about or to teach people like the way or even really a way to look at a particular card. My my aim is to get people to rethink the way that they're working with the deck on a whole, which is that you have everything you need and that I like to think that we can start looking at these cards in a way that is far more inclusive, far more trauma-informed, way more expanded than it previously was and on multiple levels. And when you take out, you're not doing anything, quote, wrong, it changes almost everything that's in a lot of books because it's pretty shocking how much the tarot hinges itself on stuff that is really just very egoic, old paradigm tarot interpretations. So I don't know whether or not I did the best job explaining it, but it is really just a democratized, open way of looking at these cards that I think they've always been that way. I think they're just telling me Mm -hmm. a little bit about what is possible in terms of the undoing. So there can be room for people to look at them however they feel called to, because everybody's interpretation of these cards is going to be different. I really love the way you express that because I do think you're right. There is this big capital I intuitive of what people think it needs to look like. And there's a lot of people who are bookkeepers, accountants, lawyers, who don't believe themselves to be intuitive because it doesn't fit into that mold. When intuition can show up in so many ways and i know i know for one for me i definitely really struggled with this and one of the things that i've actually really loved about my tarot practice is that over time with using it i've learned a little bit more how to build trust in myself because of that and trust in my own intuition which is you know it's never perfectly free of self doubt <laughs> never but it is a practice and so i would love to ask based on this line of inquiry around intuition and self-trust what you have found moving on your journey what has kind of helped you lean into that trust of yourself well I want to start by saying that it is a spiralic process which means that I still have a lot of places intuition or not that I work on trusting 
in myself or trusting in my worth or trusting in my voice or whatever it is, I understand innately that I think it, you know, I don't know that I have like a target answer. I think that through the work that it takes to kind of undo some of the older forms of mental egoic protection, because the mind can be pretty threatened by intuition. That's part of why for most of us, there's a really good record that comes on the jukebox that's like, you can't trust this, this is bullshit. And it's really the same for everybody, because it's something that works. It's something that will get us to turn away. Because the mind is really, really scared. Its job is to keep us safe, protected and what we know and what feels familiar and acceptable. This is it veers so far off of the road of familiarity and acceptability, quote unquote, to be trusting in your intuition. It looks crazy to a lot of people. I, one, don't care. And it took me a long time to to get there because my life is easier and more graceful when I trust my guides, first of all, but when I say yes to myself. Now, even when I don't necessarily have a whole lot of trust underneath me, I say yes anyway. And I think that that's kind of the crux of the best answer I can give. I don't know that I have perfect trust, but I know when I hear yes to something, I know when I hear no. I think one of the biggest misunderstandings with intuition is that you're going to be told why. Very often we don't know why. And that's true of life. You know, we don't, we so often do not ever know why certain things happen. Well, I think that's actually one of the perfect answers is that learning to trust without the answers directly being there. And and I don't think there is such a thing as perfect trust in yourself. And it does seem to be a, something that you have to practice yeah. regularly. Yeah. One of the things that really brings up a lot of self-doubt for me and and I'm sure many other creators and creatives is that sense of not knowing the how and the why of how something is going to happen. And you actually, in one of your courses, you have a course called Tarot for the Underworld, which I always really love the phrase underworld was a term that really resonated with me as a way of describing a period of life that feels extra nebulous. So (laughs) what does an underworld journey kind of mean to you? And would you be able to give an example of one of your own underworld journeys where uncertainty has been perhaps the reigning feeling? You're asking me specifically, obviously, there are lots of people who could define an underworld journey. I've had people be like, how you're saying it is not an underworld journey. There are tasks, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Of course, the term underworld is one that is shared. It is a absolute cross-cultural term. It is in so many myths, stories, literally across time, since time immemorial, and myth and how it's kind of constructed in Greek myth. It's just one small part of the piece of the pie. The underworld to me is the cocoon. What, what ultimately makes a caterpillar eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and then get into a cocoon and hang out there? The caterpillar has absolutely no idea what is happening to it. It just knows that who it was is is destroyed. It's compulsively drawn to do this thing. It doesn't quite know why, but it does it. And that time that you are suspended in that cocoon in the dark, 
in the night. You have absolutely no clue where you're going. You certainly cannot go backward. That to me is an underworld journey because in that cocoon, in that tight space of suspension, you can't go anywhere. There is no escape. You're going to be confronted with all of the contraction, all of the things that have to come up and out before you emerge differently. It's a sacred death process, I feel. It really is. And a time when, you know, I used to use this with my clients a lot. No doubt you've heard me use it in one of my courses. But underworld journeys are very much like for one reason or another, if you're living on a particular mainland, you kind of hop on a boat and you set sail for an island or for a different landscape in in the world of your imagination. And we think like, oh, this is going to be great. But what we forget about are like the weeks and weeks and weeks that we're just out in the middle of open ocean and there's nothing. The only thing we can think of is like, why did I do this? Why did I leave? I want to go back to the way things were. I don't know what you know I'm doing. And in keeping with kind of Persephone and that sense of, of underworld myth, we're going in to retrieve a part of ourselves that for one reason or another, we've either given away, we've lost, we've not been able to touch into. And we have to kind of allow what doesn't serve or match or make sense for us anymore to come up to make room for that. And I, I will tell you that I have had more, I go through these experiences probably at least once a year, if not a couple times a year, where I really, really, really feel like this is it. Like I'm lost. I'm going to go crazy. I'm never going to get out. Everything from, I can't point to a specific example, just because I'm a little wary of sharing my own personal stuff, you know, too much, but um, just because it really feels like it's mine. But I went through it very recently around, you know, I'm going through my own process with uh, just some stuff I'm not quite ready to share. That was huge. When I moved cross country, that was enormous. And one of the bigger underworld journeys I've gone through that I want to put a disclaimer on because it has to do with some medical stuff. So in no way am I giving advice. In no way am I asking for advice or feedback that one of the biggest PTSD triggers for me from the life and childhood of abuse is extreme hypervigilance around health and hypochondria, which I've really come quite a long way with. But I went through a really long time, a couple months and one month in particular while I was making Tarot for the Underworld, which always happens where I go through what I have to go through it to teach it, unfortunately, and fortunately. But I was having panic attacks that were different from what I was used to, and they felt like heart attacks. And I was that part of me, that protector part of me that is so hypervigilant was absolutely convinced 24-7 that I was having a heart attack. And I kept hearing, I'm not. I would get tested. There was nothing. And eventually there was a point where I had to just lean in and say, I know for a fact that this is not a heart attack and I'm not going to the doctor again for this right now. So it made me lean into all of the stuff. And I I can't even put words to it. It was one of the most frightening, confronting, intense things because it was essentially looking at a trauma 
survival mechanism and saying, sweetheart, we're safe. It's okay. Like if we're safe, it's okay. So I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the doctor. I'm not saying like anything about anyone's heart or anyone's choices. I'm just saying for me, with the information I had, it was very clear nothing was going on there at all. But rather than trying to get the answer from someone else to appease it and appease it and appease it, I had to draw a line and say, I'm not going to have an outside person appease it. This is, I know this to be true. And I'm going to hang out with you until the end of time if I have to. But we're not, I know the truth. We know the truth. So let's hang out in the like, you know, pricker bushes of discomfort here. And it was invaluable because now there was a whole new neural pathway laid for when that does come up, it's much easier to calm it. So there have been a number of underworld journeys. Certainly when I left my job to do this work, that was huge. When um, I've had, you know, termination journeys, health journeys, when I had pelvic pain that was so bad I couldn't walk two years ago, one of the many chronic pain issues that I live with. Oh, I never, I mean, that was huge. I mean, there's so many things that I moved through that wind up really blowing me open, not in a romantic way, but in a real way where I have a lot more to say. I have a lot more ability to parent and nurture myself through challenging times. I go, this is par for the course in my line of work. I think with everybody, they have underworld journeys. I think most people don't have enough ground under them to respect and understand what they are. Not that anyone's disrespecting, but it's very easy to just think like, I want things to go back to normal. What's wrong with me? This is a problem. And I mean, did I like any of that? Hell no. So, so much talking. My apologies for that. But yeah, that's, that's just a couple of situations that don't really probably sound like much to maybe the listener, like, oh, okay, you hung out with yourself and you thought, there was something wrong with you medically. But for me, that was like my whole life with that issue had been leading up to that. I was always trying to circle that. It was the biggest issue with my teacher. It, it derailed many, many things. And now it really doesn't. And it's not that I didn't have a lot of help and therapy and lead up to that. But me sitting with it, it was a it was very intense being in the cocoon with that with that part of myself and and really listening to it and giving it love and letting it know it just didn't have to be so hypervigilant anymore that we were okay. Yeah, thank you so much. I think it's really valuable to hear about A, what you said before about it being a spiralic journey versus a linear journey. Because I do think there is a misconception that once you figure something out, that's kind of it for you and then you can move on and figure something else out <laughs> when sometimes things come up again that might need to be handled in a different way and it doesn't mean that you haven't learnt how to handle it in a new way but sometimes these things do still come up and I do think actually sitting in those moments is one of the hardest things to do. Having to actually meet yourself in the cocoon as you put it is hard because you just you just want to get out that's um mm -hmm. the end of the day it's not a comfortable place to be in and i actually love that you shared that well, i mean i'm sorry that you feel lost every year because it's never an enjoyable experience but i loved that you shared that <laughs> because <laughs> i do think it is very common that even potentially after 
creating something that you're really, really proud of and sharing that, that there can also still be a period of feeling lost after Mm. that too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I don't want to cut you off or go too long on this, but I think that if you're, I don't ever, ever, I want to be so careful just to never romanticize discomfort, suffering. You've been working with me long enough, you know, I'm not about that. But I really do also think that if you're creating stuff that is really impactful and very powerful, you're going to go through it more. It is a part of the seasons of my life. It's when I know I'm about to really expand. Like, remember, the butterfly is on the other side of that. We don't just go through that to kind of hobble out and that's what it feels like. But I have wings now in these places where I was just crawling. Like, that's the thing I think to remember that, of course, we don't want to go through it. That's so real and needs to always be totally validated. I mean, I allow myself that every day when I'm going through that. There is anything wrong with it. It's actually great. It's any time we go through that means it's helping us to move to something different, which is crucial for our growth. So, I mean, I just did a course and had some of the most intense post course. Like it was so intense, like such not quite an underworld journey, but very underworld adjacent after and everything with that course was fabulous and went beautifully and was a very powerful experience. So sometimes it's when shit is really good that we can have the most heavy experiences in that way so yeah it's like if you're doing everything right very often this stuff will come up which is kind of a wild way of of thinking about it but it is true for me that's actually the way you frame that has has actually always been really helpful as a way for me to really meet the scary feelings I have whenever I'm doing something new and definitely approach them in a different way now where you kind of look at them and go okay well this is here so maybe I'm onto something, which is definitely mm-hmm. a nicer way to be able to approach those feelings. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no matter how uncomfortable they are. I think another one of the misconceptions that creators can struggle with, and this is creators in any sense of the word, no matter what is being made, is the belief that kind of their initial concept has to be perfect or fully formed before they begin. And that once you begin, you don't really have any giant changes to the, quote, business plan. Uh, You have been working on your offerings for around six years now, I think. Mm -hmm. How has your creative process and your relationship with your business changed over this time? Oh, my God. I mean, imagine like a seed literally in your hand and now imagine a forest. Everything's different about it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think things could actually be bigger And I have realized I don't want them to be in particular ways, not interested in that and in like certain kinds of visibility in certain ways of sharing my work. There have been dreams that I've had that have really just been kind of informed of old desires that I've had to really realize like, oh, wow, I don't actually want that. I think we don't often think of our businesses, our creations, our offerings as kind of children or um, like a pet or plant or tree or a forest that you're tending to through your life. And it's a part of our job to let that grow. It's not really yours to control. It's not really mine to control. Like Tara for the Wild Soul 
my course, it's part of my job to do whatever she wants me to do. She tells me typically every year, we're done with this. We're going to do that. And, and it's always in my highest and best too. But part of my job is to follow that. And every that, and that like, is the job for me is to be available to kind of be ready to go at a moment's notice, essentially. Um, like if I get a yes to do something and that has really changed as well. And certainly in a more kind of linear or constructive or visual way. Um, yeah, I started teaching folks how to read tarot, you know, in very, very small groups. Now I teach thousands of people every year. And although the core of what I've said about the tarot has, has never really varied, a lot of my work has shifted through the years. The people who've been working with me for a couple of years could definitely say that, that it continues to shift and change in various ways. I mean, gosh, like I, I can go into more specifics if you want, but I, it's the more I grow, the more the business, my offerings shift and grow, the more they grow, the more it invites. Like sometimes I get asked to do a course or something and I'll think like, who am I? What the fuck am I doing teaching this? You know, and not, not in a way that's completely inappropriate, but in a way that it, it brings up my stuff like, ooh, I don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not ready enough. I don't, I'm going to disappoint people. And yet there's a lot of clarity for a while. Typically that's like, this thing has chosen you. Your only job is to say yes. And that's why we don't really need to know the how, because it just comes. I know that probably sounds crazy to people, but uh, you know, it is, (laughs) it is actually how it goes. And it's changed so much. I think the biggest pieces that have changed is I don't fight any part of the process anymore. I don't need for things to look the anyway. I don't need to know. I don't need to plan. I've really been birthed out of my struggle bus strategic ways of doing business and having a quote plan to make myself look like feel better. I really am just available to do whatever I'm told to do. And whatever I feel like I, I get a call to do. And it's worked out great so far. But it's taken a long time for me to kind of work through my tendency to want to like control every bit and know what's coming like a year and a half down the pike and all that stuff. So that's really changed too. Yeah, I was going to ask whether it's um, clearly you're at the stage where you feel more comfortable with it. But whether this was a difficult concept to wrap your hands around and kind of to let things change yes yeah well and and the biggest thing that and we're kind of working with the theme here today of course but I felt like there was something really wrong with me for that and I can't really say that that cleared itself up until maybe about a month ago if I'm being honest with you I always the torture that I went through with every course, every offering. Why do I work so close to the wire? Why don't things come through until the last minute? Why am I so this, that, whatever? And it really took me until this year, but right before Heart of Service, which was the last thing I did to be like, what if everything is like great about that? What if your beliefs and stories about how somehow you look unreliable, unprofessional. There's nobody on my team who is uncomfortable working very last minute. 
And it always winds up working out fine. Nobody's crushed. Nobody's totally belabored. It's not like they're literally working an hour before something goes up. But sometimes it's a couple days and it's quite a bit. And everybody on my little four-person team is so happy to be doing it and says they're so happy to do it. And it's made me realize if I ever hire more people, they, they has to be a desire for them to work in that way. Not even just like they're willing or they can do it, but they, they like to do it. And if somebody really wants to know everything in advance, that's, that's enough, they're just not my people. And that's fine. Like, that's so beautiful. And it's okay if they think it's flaky and couldn't be anything further from the truth. But it's like trusting the wisdom of how much the ways that I work are wonderful versus so problematic. Why don't my guides get things to me until like two days before something? And there there really has been a lot of medicine around that. Yes, yeah, so hard. Hard on many levels to be okay with not knowing. You know, I, I have no idea what I'm doing next year. I mean, I assume I'll do my Tarot for the Wild Soul course again. So far, she's been talking to me a lot about various things she wants me to do. But the other day, I tried to be like, hey like would you like to talk about this and she was like nope and to <laughs> me I'm like okay well I'm probably going to redo the whole thing again because the whole format is going to be different next year I mean I'm not doing anything right now because I I have these I happen to have a work rhythm where I work so intensely so intensely for several months and then have some time where I don't quote work where I'm more in an integration period and then we'll get into a preparatory period. And then it's like when it's course time, it's like birth and delivery. It's like very intense. So it's a, it's again, a very different rhythm than most people who are doing nine to five and more regular stuff. I think it's so helpful to hear different examples of how other people go through their process mm -hmm. because it is so individual yeah. and we have been taught that there seems to be a specific kind of way and you should have a marketing plan and a content strategy and you have to show up in this way and this way when that doesn't really work for everyone. Mm -hmm. So I always love hearing examples of how other people are figuring out the ideal way to work with their own energy. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, and I'm glad that it's uh, it's beginning to feel a little bit more comfortable. Thank you. It gives me hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that I will also start to feel comfortable with the not knowing as I go forward. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Another thing that I wanted to touch on that you uh, actually mentioned at the very beginning when you were talking about how the tarot previously has had comes from a lot of structure and a lot of gatekeeping where there are certain people that seem to be the knowledge bearers. And uh, this is something you've mentioned on your podcast before, and I know we're heading into a Hierophant year, and you may be running your threshold course on this, I, do, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I have found that often when kind of setting foot, and this is a personal experience, but setting foot into your inner forest, it can kind of be very tempting to look for answers outside of ourselves and assume that everyone else knows better than you do. How does it feel to sort of balance the idea of being a teacher and allowing your students to be their own teachers and encouraging that too? Like, how do I hold that balance? Mm -hmm. I think that I feel pretty comfortable with that balance. Um, I had to work at that. There were some ego things that used to come up 
like in the first couple of years of my work where I really wanted, I was like, isn't this so great? Like you don't have to worry about this card. Like this is the way you can think about it. And it's taken me, you know, it's been the last several years where I've really worked to shift my languaging around like this is really just a way and actually you disagreeing with me might be the best thing for your practice. So I feel pretty good about it because for me, I'm here to share what I know today. And I'm here to do it in a way that is hopefully the most supportive, empowering way that I can. And I am sturdy and rooted enough to know that part of what we do when we're learning is we tend to put a lot of stuff on the teacher that it can, like, I used to have a group for Tara for the Wild Soul. You may know this. I'm not sure, but oh, I used to see people be like, they had to disagree with me to empower themselves to trust in their own knowing. Like it had to be that I was not wrong, but I'm fine with that. Like, that's okay. So I think I am a human and I want people to like be happy. I don't need people to think I'm right. It's more to do with like, I want everybody to like be having a nice time and a nice experience and and for me to be really clear. But I don't get it confused because I'm not any, I'm not friends with anybody who I teach. Like there are no blurred lines. Like I really try to just leave the material, hold a totally supportive space, be really honest when I feel like I haven't quite gotten something as as well as I could. Um, it's really just a balance of trusting that I absolutely have something of value to say that can really, really be useful. And I also think that contrast can show up in that space, which is to say that you hating what I say can sometimes be the best thing for you to bounce off of and be like, oh, well, this is what I think about this card. Sometimes you know, everybody has their journey with that. So I feel pretty comfortable with that balance. Like I'm not, I don't care really if anybody likes me. I don't necessarily care if everybody agrees. They don't have to agree. I would hope that they would not agree. And I try with everything I do. I think I get a little better at this every year, but I try with everything I do to really democratize and just lay a foundation, offer an idea, and then try to pitch people toward looking at how they can form their own understanding. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of like, you've got to love me in spiritual or energetic teachers, and you totally don't have to love me. In fact, this might seem a little odd for some people. I think people loving me is one of the biggest detriments to their work with me because then they don't want me to be wrong or they don't want to disagree with me, or they're kind of like, we do this with teachers, we adore them, and we just want them to love us and see us. And, you know, just like, um, so I think I'm always balancing that. This year, like I knew after Terror for the Wild, so I needed to not have a group anymore, because it just, it's such a good space, that it really just fosters too much codependence frankly, with my role in the work. And I realized like if I'm really actually committed to people going on a pilgrimage with this material, I have to kind of take myself out of it a little bit more and put myself in differently. So it's always, you're always figuring it out. But I feel like my job is to actually be like, 
do such a good job that people don't even really pay too much attention to what I'm saying, but actually will come out remembering like, whoa, I had this experience of my own. I don't always get it right, but I, I work on it a little bit more all the time. Oh, I wish I had many, many more hours to be able to ask you questions. <laughs> and you've already shared so much great information, but I'll move on to my final question that I ask everyone on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you have for those that are currently feeling lost on their own forest path? To know that you are absolutely not alone. To know that you have many, many, many millions of parallel travelers, both with you, around you, that honestly, getting lost is one of the most valuable things that could ever, ever happen to you. It's what calls us back home to our bodies, it makes us pay attention, and it is wholly, wholly temporary. That I promise you that um, eventually there will be a time where that forest path will feel so known, familiar, and you being lost on that forest path may actually be your training ground to help and assist and be a parallel forest occupant for someone else who has maybe just doesn't know how to move forward. Maybe you can shout to them from a click away and say, hey, this is what I did. And that's really how we help each other. You know, that it's a total myth that getting lost is a problem. It's great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Where is the best place for people to connect with you and learn more from you? Uh, LindsayMack.com is the best place in terms of a website. My podcast, Tara for the Wild Soul, which you can find anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm not on Instagram really all that much, but it is the only social media I do have, and that is Wild Soul Healing. I'm sure you'll have many people looking to learn a lot more from this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with a friend and subscribe. It helps people find it and means a great deal to me. And if you are looking for some gentle guidance on your own forest path, I offer intuitively selected tarot guided journal prompts to explore what comes up on the creative journey. You can find this at patreon.com forward slash juliawrites, or you can read more about my work at my website, juliawrites.com. Until next time, wanderers.